Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. And folks, this is not about East Haven being successful. I almost should have gotten applause there. Not really. But it's not about East Haven being successful uh, in the sense that you meet and you gather and you minister well and you proclaim the gospel, you're already faithfully successful. But it is about you being extraordinarily available to God to impact people for the kingdom. There will be nobody that you will pass on the way home or down Highway 84 or the next time you go to work that doesn't need the impact of Christ in their lives. We sang about freedom earlier. It is for freedom that you've been set free, and we want to share the the hope of the gospel with people for the expansion of the kingdom. There is no other satisfying, life-changing, eternity-bringing way to live your life except in Christ. And I'm really excited about this season for you, and I'm jealous that I'll be gone, but Kathy and I plan on being back whenever we can, and, and loving you and cheering you on and praying for Hal, the ministry that he has, but for you, because it's the ministry that you have as the bride of Christ. Uh, this is a pretty, pretty great place. And I'm offering the invitation now, we're not going to walk to the front, but I'm telling you, if you're looking for a place to lock into to live your life well, to be encouraged, to be loved, to be prayed for, to worship together, to teach and understand the Word of God, to live life in relationship with other believers. I can't think of any place that's better than this place. So in a little while, as we offer an invitation to make a decision about where you might plant or lock arms with people in the body of Christ, I want to encourage you to consider East Haven. This is such a great place. I'd like to pray for us, and then we'll resume a study in the book of Romans and God's Word. Would you pray with me? Father, we just take a moment to say that we love you. We're grateful for your presence in this place. God, it's my heart, and I believe my heart, Lord, is aligned with yours, that you want to be fully known and loved and worshiped. We are grateful for your word, and we pray you would bring light to your word, bring conviction to our hearts, bring challenge to our hearts. God, whatever it is you choose to do, uh, we receive that. Our, Our yes is on the table. We're saying yes to you this morning. Thank you for the truth of the book of Romans. We pray you'd illumine that in a way that we would understand for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Weeks ago, we started this journey in the book of Romans, and although I'm not going to do all of it, let me just catch us up to speed because I'm aware that we, for many, many, many reasons, are not present every week. So I'm not going to do all the sermons from the last five months, but I just want to give you the quick picture of Romans. Romans is written by Paul who had a rabbinical training. He is a very, very well-educated rabbi. You may remember the story, of course, of Paul uh, on the Damascus Road having this experience where he meets Jesus after the resurrection and considers himself an apostle. 
And God uses Paul to write much of what we know as the New Testament. This book to the church at Rome is really a theological work about who God is, what he's done, what man's situation is, and God's response and provision for that. And it begins really by saying we're all the same. We are without excuse. God has demonstrated his divine character and attributes in his creation And man is without excuse about not understanding and responding to God. And it goes on to point out that every man is sinful. It's our nature for all have sinned and fall short of the glory, the character, the attributes, the nature of God. We've fallen short of that and we need him. The Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and that he loves us. And it goes on to say in Christ, there's no condemnation. So once we respond to Christ in faith, there's no looking over our shoulder believing that somehow we're going to be taken out of the body of Christ. That makes some people uncomfortable because you're going to have moments of disobedience. Can I get an amen? That was pitiful. You're going to have moments of disobedience. Can I get an amen? You are. And this isn't to say, yes, we celebrate moments of of disobedience. It's to say our disobedience reminds us of our dramatic need for the grace of God. So even the law is a teacher or tutor to remind us that we don't measure up to the glory of God, Romans 3, 23 and 24. So our disobedience reminds us how desperately needy we are in Christ, and it would be real easy to believe the devil's lies and to condemn yourself, but Romans 8, kind of this huge turning point in this long book, this long letter says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And then it goes on in a familiar passage saying God's always at work, no matter what happens, God is working that out for good to those who love him and know him, called by his name. And then there's a passage, as you remember, in Romans 8 that tells us there's nothing, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And you may feel powerful and uh, responsible and autonomous, but your sin cannot separate you from the love of God once you're in Christ. And That is really, really critical to understanding our saved relationship in Jesus. Sometimes for the sake in some theological traditions of keeping people in line and trying really hard to live holy lives, trying really hard, we've sort of celebrated the sin list and you better be confessed up. I remember those lines in college. And that was by people who passionately wanted to follow Jesus people I respect to this day, but as much as you can sin list and confess those sins, and that's important, that's not about separating you or holding on to Jesus. He holds on to you. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ if you're in Christ. And I use the line, and it's divided churches and denominations and movements for a lot of years, But if saved, always saved. Once you're in Christ, you're a son or a daughter. You are adopted. You are lavished with grace. He loves you. And that is really, really critical. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, if I can look at two words to describe these principles, sovereignty. God is absolutely sovereign. He is absolutely in charge. 
and responsibility. And he's clear that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whosoever will call, that's an act, a volitional act, a willful act on the part of people, they will be saved. And at the same time, it's God's sovereignty, so it's sovereignty and our responsibility. And then he says, immediately following that, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago out of Romans 10, and uh, the scripture's clear, who can hear if they don't have a preacher? We have a responsibility to tell. So it's sovereignty and responsibility. If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. Now we're at Romans 11. And remember, the disclaimer, if you haven't been with us in a while or maybe not at the beginning, is I'm hitting some high points. This is not a verse-by-verse exegetical work on the book of Romans. We would be here, Lord willing, until 2043 if I did that. That would be a long interim, and I'd be 100 but that's another story. This is not verse by verse. It's, it's hitting the high points in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 11. If you received a worship guide, picked one up on the way in, I'm going to fill in the blanks for you this morning because we're covering some territory. Let me describe the beginning of Romans 11. Uh, remember, Paul is a rabbi, and Paul is making an argument as a apostle to the Gentiles, which is so counterintuitive because he's a Jewish rabbi by training. He's a Jewish leader, but he's, he's an advocate for the Gentiles. And he makes this case, and we're not going to go verse by verse here, but he makes this case that God in his sovereignty has always left a remnant of Israel, and they're those who receive the Messiah. But for some, The fact that God is the God also of the Gentiles and has been the God of Jews who didn't see the Messiah coming and being in Jesus, that that caused some jealousy or some enviousness, which is an interesting concept, but he's saying he's the God of Jews and Gentiles. And for those who are in Christ, it's like... uh, as Gentiles, they've been grafted into this tree, into this, into this branch. And he uses metaphor and analogies throughout here. It's a really interesting rabbinical posture. And then this morning, for our purposes, we're going to begin in the 28th verse. Now, again, high spots here. Verse 28. And I'm going to read, looking at my Bible from the NIV, and if it's not exact with the screen We'll be okay. Here we go. Verse 28 uh, through 31. Paul writes and he says, As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. He's talking about Jews. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. God's gift and his call are irrevocable. So God has this call on his covenant people. He has said, I'll be your God, you be my people, the covenant people of Israel. Their call is not irrevocable, but there is a need for a response to the Messiah. And then he says, just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, the Jews, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too now may receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. He is playing Gentiles against Jews 
in his argument. That's what he's doing. And it, again, it's, it's a little complex and there's some nuances to this argument. But he's saying to the Gentiles, okay, the Jews had this covenant relationship and because they were God's chosen people, in essence, he doesn't use that term here, but because they're God's chosen people, they had this opportunity to faith and repentance, and we know that they tried really, really hard through a religious system. And he says, but you Gentiles understand your sin, and you've had the opportunity to respond, and there is a certain challenge on both sides of this equation, whether covenant or whether Gentiles, there is a freedom in Christ for whoever will respond. He has just said to us, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So he's challenging those who religiously and rather piously and self-righteously said, well, it's just us and our people. And Paul's saying, no, it's not. And he's saying to the Gentiles, well, they say that, but that's not true. I'm sorry, to the Jews. Well, they say that. He's saying to the Gentiles about the Jews. They're saying that, but that's not necessarily true. The gospel is available to everybody. And then he says, For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. When we talk about sovereignty, God's absolutely in charge. And responsibility, God in his sovereignty has has relegated people to themselves and ourselves are sinful so that he can show mercy. It's God's pleasure to show mercy and grace to people who are willfully disobedient. Let me see if I can say that again. It's God's pleasure brings glory to him to show mercy and grace to people who are disobedient. He allows us our will, our willful disobedience, so that he can show mercy to us. A phrase that I like is trophies of grace, and I think about Ephesians 1. He demonstrates his love for us. He lavishes grace on us so that we can be a trophy of grace. And I love this line in Ephesians 1, to the praise, to the praise of his glory. He loves us and demonstrates mercy to the praise of his glory. Even in our repentance and our coming to Christ, especially in our repentance and coming to Christ, I should say, it brings praise to his glory. So God in his sovereignty gives a volitional opportunity for all of us to be disobedient. We all are. Everybody has sinned because it just makes God that much more amazing that he would set aside the punishment for sin and bring eternal life. We become trophies of grace, unmerited love by God because we are volitional people living with a absolutely sovereign God. In response to that, the next passage in my Bible has a line, doxology, it's not in the text, doxology being a response, a praise, a song of worship. And these verses beginning in 33, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God 
that God should repay him. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. In your worship guide this morning, you see all men are disobedient but may receive mercy. Verse 32. And then this doxology means to praise the Lord. The wisdom and knowledge of God. It's beyond our understanding. It's beyond our thinking. His judgments are unsearchable. It's the mind of the Lord that's beyond ours. And it's all for the glory of God. God is beyond us. He is my word for the last six months. He is transcendent. And yet he's come near. His thoughts are beyond us. We've never counseled him. We've never brought wisdom to God that he needed. From our perspective, his ways are higher than our ways. And it's praise be to God that he has chosen in his sovereignty to extend mercy. Okay, let's back up about six months. Would you play along with me for a second? Let's see what you remember. What is justice? That's a good answer. Is there another one? What is justice? Getting what we deserve. That's exactly right. And if you were here, perhaps, on a Sunday morning, talked about perhaps getting pulled over by a cop, what do I deserve if I'm speeding? A ticket. That would be justice. But if the officer decides to set that ticket aside, that would be what? Mercy not getting what I deserve. And if he pulled out a $20 bill and bought me lunch, it'd be a miracle. But that would be grace, bribery. (laughs) I love it. It would be grace. Yeah, it'd be bribery if I pulled out a $20 bill. It would be grace. I'd receive something I didn't deserve. This passage, this doxology is saying, okay, We are all sinful. We are without excuse. Every man is sinned. God, though he's absolutely sovereign, recognizes our sin. We're without excuse. And God, in his own way, his own timing, in this this oxymoron of, of sovereignty and free will, has provided a way of escape. Do you know what a conflict is? It could be a lot of things interpersonally, but a conflict are two things that disagree. It's two things that oppose and stand against each other. But do you know what? But do you know what it means when two people, two, I'm sorry, two things look like they oppose, but they're actually true at the same time? It could be considered uh, an oxymoron. At the same time, there's the absolute sovereignty of God and there's the absolute free will and responsibility of man in that at the same time. And it is my conviction that less thoughtful biblical exegesis takes you to an either-or But I want to suggest to you they are both and and God's ways are higher than our ways. We have a tremendous responsibility to respond to the sovereignty and the grace of God. This doxology for 
from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And then this is where we land today because there are not chapter numbers in the text. We've added those over the centuries. But here's the response to that doxology. And most of you in the room know this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Again, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, This is your spiritual act of worship. Some translations, the New American Standard, I believe, says reasonable act of worship. This morning, I want want to just charge you. I want to speak over you. I want to tell you at the end of this, this complicated understanding of a shadow of understanding the mind of God through the book of Romans, and we find these things that look like they stand in opposition to each other and yet are true at the same time. The upshot of that is God for his glory expresses mercy and the reasonable spiritual act of worship in presenting ourselves to God every day as living sacrifices is to do that out of reasonable response to the sovereignty and the greatness of God. It's the only reasonable or spiritual act of response. Sometimes in our culture, in our world that we live in, as I've said before, we celebrate knowing more stuff. It's not about knowing more stuff. It's about knowing him and allowing the very presence of God to work through you, which includes communion with God, it includes prayer with God, it includes time in God's word, it includes time with God's people. It includes all of those components that God in his wisdom has put together for us that we might be continually transformed into people that bear the image of God more fully. We're image bearers in the sense that God has created us in some way like him with some essence of value that looks something like godness or the, or the result of God's work and handiwork in us created with good deeds in advance to be done, he tells us. But the reasonable response to all of this is to daily offer ourselves as living sacrifices. One preacher years ago said, the problem with living sacrifices is they constantly crawl off the altar. And that's a pretty real picture of my heart and head and yours. It's the reasonable spiritual response, but it's a struggle because I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I want to achieve what I want to achieve. I want to have what I want to have. I want to experience what I want to experience when I want to have, achieve, and experience But the reasonable reasonable response to the mercy and the grace of God is to offer ourselves daily to him. The upshot of this is found in verse 2. Paul writes, he says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The question always is, how can I know God's will? God, how how can I know you? How can I know what to do next? God, how can I be assured of your presence? It's about daily surrender. It's about responding to God daily as a living sacrifice. It's about walking out our faith, not arriving on Sundays for a dose, for a, a shot of Jesus infusion or a little Bible knowledge. It's about a daily walking out. One of the interesting parts of this passage, just to challenge our thinking a little bit, is don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Have you thought about what the patterns of this world are? Power. Selfishness. Pleasure. Those things look like the world. But we're called to sacrifice, to take up our cross daily. It's not about being good citizens. It's not about giving consistently, although we ought to be good citizens and we ought to give consistently. It's not simply about a knowledge base, knowing more and more of Scripture and great preachers, teachers, books, and podcasts. It's really about living in the presence of Jesus every day. In view of God's mercy, therefore I urge you, brothers, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual or reasonable act of worship. Do not conform any longer to this pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, His perfect and acceptable will. My prayer for me, my prayer for you, is that your walk with Jesus is a daily walk that's grounded in the Word, that it's based in communion, the prayer and awareness of God's presence in your life, and that you would be available to Him to work out, work through you, work in you, to help mold and conform you more and more to the image of Christ. I grew up, as many of you did, I am sure, with a view of the Christian life as predominantly a list of what you don't do. But the things that you do as a result of the Spirit working from the inside out of you are much more important to love him, to love others, for God to have all of your heart. And then it's an amazing thing. There's no end to love. When God's got all of your heart, you've loved him with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. There's so much love left over in that that's created by the very Spirit of God that it's just easy to love people. And there is no better testimony in the world than loving people and then going all the way to speaking the truth about the Jesus who loves you, to whom you give love and reasonable and spiritual worship.
today, if I came out of this passage and I said to a group of people gathered to hear God's word, and that is in fact what I'm doing, but if I, I came to this and I said, now, now what's God's word for us? His word for us is today, living sacrifice, every day, it's reasonable. It's reasonable. So today, what God's saying to you is reasonable and spiritual worship in light of who he is and in light of his mercy. Uh, For some of you, there are things you're holding on to that you need to let go of. For some of us, there are some things we've not taken hold of in the kingdom that we should take hold of. For some of us, our satisfaction and our our pleasure and our confidence is found in things other than God. But as a living sacrifice, we present ourselves every day and say, God, I'm on the altar. I say it this way, my yes is on the table. Whatever you want, God. Today, as I said earlier, the invitation is whatever God's leading you to do in this moment, If you don't know the answer to the question, are you a Christian? A Christian is a Christ follower. It's a Jesus believer who has said, God, I surrender my life to you. I'm that sacrifice for you. I'm responding to your mercy and your grace because if you're not a Christian, you're dead in your sin. And I've said this line often, it's so compelling. Jesus did not come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. And I would want for you to be fully alive in Christ. For some, it's committed to the body of Christ, to be a part of a church that's growing and loving and worshiping and equipping and serving and on mission and live life with a purpose And I I just jealously want that for you. Here's what I know, and if I could beg you, I'd just beg you. Here's what I know. When you serve, when you're with other believers and you are pouring yourself out for the cause of Christ, you are never more satisfied. It's been said we're never more Christ-like than when we serve. And to serve together with other brothers and sisters is just, it's deeply satisfying. And if I could take an aside for a moment, moms and dads in the room, there's nothing like modeling service for your children. Can I say this to you just just so you can ponder it? According to the Pew Research Institute, Barna, Lifeway, and others, uh, young people are stepping outside of active engagement in the church and the faith in increasing numbers at the age of 18 or so. The predominant influence on our children are us as parents. We reproduce who we are. We teach what we know. And there's nothing more satisfying or more real or more aligned with the purpose of God than celebrating Him, than worshiping Him, and being a part of a vibrant, alive church. So I'd encourage you to make that decision. And one other challenge, just keeping it real. By the way, my sweet friend who came up this morning and said, Gary, two weeks ago you really stepped on my toes. I got in the choir. That, that is so tangible to help lead people to worship. 
This is not about serving in a slot specifically. It is about stepping up. The research tells us that faithful people who consider themselves consistent or faithful church attenders might attend one week in three nationally, one week in three, which says to me generally in broad brush We've got a lot of other priorities and commitments that we think are stronger priorities and commitments than being a part of the body of Christ. But I'd encourage you to evaluate your life and make sure that your primary commitment is to Jesus and the bride of Christ and to be consistent. We're going to offer an invitation in just a moment, as we said we would. I'll be at the front. Phil will be here. There'll be counselors. If you've never trusted Christ, we'd love to visit with you about that. Number two, if you need a church and you do if you don't have one, or if you have one and you're not there, maybe you've relocated, maybe you haven't been a part of that fellowship for some time, and the Lord's leading is clear to hear, we'll be at the front, would love to have you be a part of the East Haven family. Or maybe there are moments in your life where you'd just like somebody to pray with you. We'd be honored to do that this morning. I'm going to pray for us. Robert's going to come. We're going to worship through one more song, invitation, whatever God puts on your heart, we would be here to receive and to meet in this place. Let's pray together. God, I know you are active in our lives. You're present in this place and your spirit is so at work. Father, there are men and women and and boys and girls. There are families in this room who have decisions to make. And I pray today courage and wisdom, clarity about decision making. Father, we're really thankful that we're in a season where we so clearly see you at work. And our heart, Lord, is to see you demonstrate, manifest your presence in a strong way to make a difference in the lives of people as they come to know you. And God, my prayer for me and for these men and women is that we would be more and more surrendered as a reasonable spiritual response to your mercy. And out of that, Lord, we pray your spirit would continue to conform us to Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to be a part of this body to serve here, to love here, to worship here, to be known here. And again, Father, I pray for anyone who is in the season where you've led them to this place, give them boldness. We're so thankful for your mercy and grace, and we are, in fact, trophies of your grace. All glory to you, God. Have your way in this place. Do what only you can do. Our yes is on the table. We pray this expectantly in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen.